As you saw in the video, my name is Brian Flood. Um, I'm the administrative director of Hope Academy. And, um, <clears throat> we've been going through uh, the series Five Ways to Wreck Your Life, uh, and we heard about how sex, drifting far from God, addiction, and last week, um, discontentment in our lives can do just that. Um, I've really appreciated this series uh, because it reminds me that while I may have caused damage in my life, um, I'm not beyond repair uh, through God. Um, and that's a great thing to keep in mind. This last message in the series is about how Jesus can wreck your life. Now stick with me for a moment, because <laughs> uh, I'll show you what I mean. Uh, the truth is, and I want to say this, um, I don't see Grant out there. He's out there somewhere. But um, uh, he asked me, he didn't ask me to give an expository teaching on this, which is, good for me and really good for you. Um, but uh, what he did ask me to do is he asked me to tell my story. Now, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about my pastor asking me to stand up in front of all of you and tell you how my life has been wrecked, but we'll get to that second. <laughs> um, it should be noted um, that he is leaving for the pastor's retreat. So, um, you know, love my pastor. Anyway, um, I, I heard about this, and, and I was thinking, okay, so I, I got to tell you this story that I heard. It's like, all right, Grant, all right. So uh, I heard about this story where a guy was asked to come and teach and um, at the end, he felt really good. You know, that was a challenging message. You know, I was able to, you know, give some truth out there. And he looks in the back and he sees this guy coming down the aisle. He's, you can see he's bright red. I mean, there's practically steam coming out of his ears. He's obviously very angry. And the speaker turns around and talks to the worship guy. And he goes, hey, um, who's that guy? He, he looks pretty mad. And the guy looks out and he goes, oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's one of our elders. Uh, yeah, he's pretty mad. But don't worry, he's not coming uh, to find you. He's looking for the guy that invited you. Um, <clears throat> so um, just in case anybody is a little bit worried about what I say or upset by anything, um, Jake has offered um, at the end of the service to hand out cards with Grant's cell phone number on it. So... Uh, Jake told me that Grant loves that idea, um, especially since it's Jake's last Sunday with us. So counting the cost, that's really what this whole series is about. Um, it's shown, among other things, um, how our decisions and our actions or inactions um, that we take affect us and those around us, uh, sometimes with eternal consequences. So each of us has to ask the question, how did I get here? <laughs> what did it cost me? You know, for some people, this can be uh, seen in one giant decision that changes the vector of their lives forever. Other people, much like myself, it's a series of decisions, things that um, build one on the other. Um, anyway, it might sound like I'm complaining as I go forward, but bear with me, please, okay? Um, but
But the story I want to tell you, it's going, I, I need to give you a little background about myself. Um, so I was born in a little tiny New England town where I grew up called Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, if you imagine the postcard of New England, you usually see one of two things. You either see covered bridges or a little white church. I went to the little white church. There were no covered bridges in our, house, in, in our town. Um, and it was a great church. Uh, we did uh, potluck dinners. We had uh, Yankee uh, fairs. We had, you know, we, we, we decorated the sanctuary for Christmas, and we had sunrise service on Easter. Um, but I wouldn't call it evangelical. Um, <clears throat> my father died when I was 11, and that affected my life, obviously. Um, I was denied in that moment um, someone to go to. And a lot of you have had that same experience. But <clears throat> after that, I was really angry. I was really angry at God. I was really angry at people. Um, but somehow, um, in that same little white church um, that wasn't particularly evangelical, um, I accepted Christ during a confirmation class. Um, and uh, just to give you an idea, um, I believe the person that taught that confirmation class was asked to not return the following year because they were concerned that he was breeding radicals. Um, anyway, but I found friends in high school that um, also shared my faith and began an ambition to become a music teacher. Um, merging that, my, the music with my faith, um, started serving with a uh, youth ministry called Musicon where um, we would travel, well first we would learn a original musical, um, full choral arrangement, full band in four days. We would then spend the balance of two weeks traveling around New England in a bus with about a hundred high schoolers. Um, for those of you who have been in youth ministry, you're probably going, wow, that sounds like fun. For those of you who have not are probably thinking that's quite possibly the most horrifying thought in the world. You would both be right. <laughs> But anyway, this is where Jesus really kind of starts wrecking my life. And, 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 and so I want to bring up this uh, passage in Matthew, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You heard this in the video. It's in response. This is Jesus in response to what is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first major lesson that uh, I learned in my walk with God. Very simple. Love God, love people. Pretty simple, which is good because I was pretty simple. Um, but learning a lesson. Learning a lesson doesn't mean you're good at it yet, okay? Um, but working through this, uh, I started to love God again. And after my early pain with my father, I started to, or I at least started to want to love people again. Um, through that time of youth ministry, um, I became closer to God and even found a measure of peace. Um, not long after that, I was married to my lovely wife. Um, we began to have children, and we became involved with an evangelical church in New England. Um, 
No, really, even in New England, it was there. Um, we started to be discipled by our pastor, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the term discipled, it's a spiritual mentor. Um, he and his wife were former missionaries to uh, the jungles of Panama, and they were also linguists. They actually uh, worked with the Kuna Indians. They developed a written language for this people group, and then they translated the Bible into it. Um, I mean, wow. Those stories, they, they excited me. They really, you know, they, they pumped me up. And by the time we're working through him, I'm like, we're, we are on fire to go. I mean, it's like, I am going to bring the word. Yeah. All right, so I'm sorry. That's as excited as us Connecticut people get. Um, uh, that's probably why we don't have a professional um, team of any kind. Anyway, um, then it happens. I, in my excitement, um, I pray the most dangerous prayer anybody can pray. And it, it sounded something to the effect of, Lord, whatever it takes, make me the servant you want me to be, strengthen the skills you've given me, and reveal those things, here it is, reveal those things in me that need to be corrected. So in my heart, I will tell you that I had no idea what I was asking God, but I meant it. I will tell you, though, however, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll take more strength. Sure thing. Don't know what you're going to give me. You know, come on. Do I really need any more? And that second part, you know, I'm supposed to sound humble, right? That's what they said. I'm supposed to sound humble. Um, uh, it was the thought that I'm going to show God what I'm made of. Can you see the setup here coming? Okay. Needless to say, I'm enthusiastic. Um, and thankfully, God can use enthusiasm. Um, but really, in my heart, my attitudes about how I should help people and even why I should help people are not in line with what really loving people looks like. See, I found that if it's about me, it's not about loving others. My pride, my need for affirmation. I wanted to feel good. Now, I realize, and I want you to hear this, that it's, there's nothing wrong with feeling good about doing good, but if it's about feeling good, am I really doing good? So I served, and it felt great for a while. <laughs> but I kept seeing the same people with the same problems, seemingly not moving forward. And because I loved people, that hurt. You know... Because it was about me, because it was about me, I lost my enthusiasm. So this is, things, this is when things really started to fall apart, and uh, God held up that mirror and started to show me what I was actually made of. 
My loss of enthusiasm turned into bitterness. Bitterness led me to be asked to step down from my volunteer position at our church. I mean, how miserable do you actually have to be to be asked to step down from a volunteer position? Just to let you know. This uncovered my unhealthy need for approval um, and acceptance. It manifested at first in not blocking things on my computer. That turned into a full-blown wedge between my wife and I. We didn't have time to deal with that because I was accused of stealing at work and even after the internal uh, investigation showed that I had not, I lost my job for not following company policy. So there I was, no job, relationally distant from my in, in my marriage, uh, very little connection with my church. I had drifted as far from God as I had ever been. Anger, frustration, fear, internal disgust, those were the things I was made of. So at this point, you're probably saying, all right, Brian, I can see where you wrecked your life pretty good. Um, you're not blaming God for this one, are you? No. Well, at least now I'm not. Um, it's one of those things that at that time, like before, I was suffering from a focus problem. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I was focused on the end part of that, the exalt part. Um, up to then, I was ignoring the humble yourself part and what it would really cost me. Remember, I asked God to reveal those things in me that needed correction. And so Jesus brought an opportunity for me to practice humility. Jesus gives us opportunities to practice the skills we need. I think it's interesting that that's where the series is going starting next week. I had to ask for help. And not quietly, in my prayer time, in my prayer closet, all by myself, I had to ask forgiveness from my wife. I had to ask for help from my friends. I had to confess my sins to my mentors. After that, I did recover some of that peace that I haven't felt in a long time. What marked it for me, and I remember this clearly, is I was able to pray for other people and actually be happy for that they were moving forward. I, I wanted something for them, and it wasn't about what I sounded like or uh, felt like myself. After that, um, I found the strength to work two full-time jobs, one at night, um, to help get my family back on track. And here we go, right? Everything works out, right? Well, all of that work, it wasn't enough to stop the foreclosure notice for, show for showing up. My mom got remarried, <laughs> right in this whole mess. Um, she, got, she met this great southern good old boy from Alabama. I mean, 
Alabama, all right? They met at Emory College, um, where they both had decided to have a later-in-life career change to become Methodist pastors. Did not grow up Methodist. That's a cool story all by itself. But, I mean, he asked me for permission to marry my mom. I mean, <laughs> that's cool. It, it was great. I had a dad for the first time since I was 11. I could talk with him about my mistakes and where I thought God might be going with all of this. The day the foreclosure notice came, he paid all of our back bills, including what we owed on the house. He said, we're family, and family takes care of each other when they can, and I can. Please, folks, the amazing thing about this wasn't about the money. It was that he paid the price for me. When I was talking on the phone with him, he also invited us to move to Savannah, my mother's house over there was empty because she'd been placed by the Methodist Church in a West Georgia congregation. And he said, why not just move to Savannah and catch up on everything else? I was not interested in moving to Savannah. Sure, we had vacation there. It's beautiful. Love the trees. You know, St. Patrick's Day was kind of cool. Um, but I was born in Connecticut. And I had not suffered through all of those winters just to give up now. <laughs> so I told him, well, we would have to sell the house, and, you know, if that happens, maybe we can. I had no intention of really considering it. Two days later, a friend of mine from the job that I got fired from, he calls me out of the blue. And I swear to you, <clears throat> after about a few seconds of, you know, catching up, he says the words, hey, you wouldn't happen to be selling your house, would you? Um, yes, I think I'm moving to Savannah. <laughs> so we moved to Savannah um, with nothing except our 15-year-old car and what we could jam into a 20-foot U-Haul. Um, and the 15-year-old car was giving to us. Um, I don't mention that, you know, previous to that, our car had been wrecked, because usually when I start telling people this story, they're like, wow, this is really starting to sound like a country western song. Um, uh, it's actually probably a really good thing that we didn't have a dog, because you know what would happen to the dog. Um, I had no job, but we had very little expenses. Um, one thing we did have is that Heather... My wife had found a church. So um, we didn't know anyone in Savannah, um, and we needed connections, and Heather most of all, because at that time we had three children under five. And if nothing else, honestly, um, we needed to have that connection to uh, save our children from us. <laughs> And this church, they sent us a welcome packet to Connecticut. I mean, really? We listened to it all the way down? It was cool. Um, I got a job pretty quickly, um, actually within about a week of us arriving. 
and I started the long climb back up. Um, I won't go through my whole resume, but I worked at a bunch of companies. Uh, I was a retail manager, moved around. But about 10 years ago, I became a banker. Now, at this point, I would like to report that my faith, buoyed by the amazing blessings we had experienced, um, that's what had driven me to where we were. So Jeff kind of nailed me um, last week. I pushed myself there because I was discontent. I wanted more. I wanted what was next. I wanted what the other guy had. I worked a lot, um, and I thought I was happy. So after all that, this is where the story really begins. <laughs> there I am, sitting at my desk uh, in my branch. I'd achieved the success I thought I wanted so badly. Insurance, investments, retirement, I'd exceeded the limitations that I had placed on myself. But my discontentment was already looking at the next step. I was looking at the next guy. I wanted his job. It's important for me to say um, at this time in my life, I'd never been more financially prosperous nor felt more personally fulfilled. Um, I was at the top of my game, so to speak. But something wasn't right. And this wasn't the same discontentment that drove me. It just, I couldn't put my finger on it. I enjoyed work. I'd even call it fun. Um, but something was just missing. It was worse than that itch you can't reach. It was more like food turning to ash or living in black and white. I, I really don't know how to explain the feeling, but something was off. Then I heard this lesson on the Abrahamic covenant, and that's the promise that God makes with Abraham, all the way back in Genesis 12, 2. And it says, uh, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I don't have time to flesh out that entire teaching, but if you're interested, look up um, a man by the name of Dr. Don Richardson. Uh, he's a Christian missionary, teacher, and author, and he's, uh, he has some wonderful material about this. Dr. Richardson says in one of his teachings that this concept comes up either specifically or paraphrased 395 times in the Bible. You know, as a banker, I was familiar with fine print. Um, I helped people wade through it. I drank it with my coffee. If my back hurt, I stuffed it in my chair to make me feel a little bit better. But somehow this bit of <clears throat> fine print had escaped me my entire life. I am blessed so that I can be a blessing. And while financial blessing is part of it, you mean the all the blessings of my life? The talents and the skills, the hurt and the healing? 
All of it? What do you want me to do? <laughs> Jeff showed us last week that discontentment is a form of disobedience. And I felt disobedient sitting there. Whatever you might call it, it became unbearable. After seven years as a banker, it was nearly painful for me to sit at my desk every day. I know some of you are thinking, well, you're a banker. I mean, come on. <laughs> I liked it, actually. But not anymore. For those of you who may not have experienced this type of situation, um, this is God speaking to me. <laughs> and he was saying, now. Now, I'd heard stories like this before, but I never, never thought it would be me. I quit my job. I didn't have anywhere to go, but I knew I had to go. I couldn't, now, keep in mind, I could not have done this without my wife. Um, God made me a husband and a father long before he made me a banker, and I had a, responsible, a responsibility to her and my family, at least as much to myself. So it's funny then that she had been feeling the exact same way. Initially, we looked at going overseas to serve. After speaking with friends at a sending agency, it was determined that the age of our children, this time in their later teens, um, could find us separated from our kids across an ocean, um, feeling tugs of major life decisions, going to school, becoming married, and um, at a time when we really wanted to be focused on the work. Um, so we decided to serve locally. Heather continued to work uh, with her business, uh, mostly full-time, and I found a part-time gig. Now we soon had this opportunity to start uh, the GED program um, that you saw in the video. We called it Hope Academy. Um, the GED program soon became adult literacy um, because a man asked me why we would do this. And you heard my answer to him. You know, God loves me, so I love God. He loves people, so I try to love people. But we never lost that desire to reach out across national and religious barrier. We became aware of the refugees in our community and thought, you know, like Heather said, maybe we can do something. <laughs> you know, we know how to speak English, um, and I think we know how to make tea, and really that was just about all the consideration we put into it um, after a lot of prayer. Initial meeting, five women, they turned to 10, turned to 25, Past summer, we had 60 women and children. We also had another opportunity that we don't talk about in the video very often, um, and, or we don't talk about in the video, and we don't talk about this often enough, but we also had the opportunity to engage people from 14 different churches. And another thing is we also engage people from outside of faith communities. We're all sitting there, you know, learning what it means to love people. 
to kind of put it in perspective about what God is doing, this summer, it looks like he's going to be bringing between 120 and 160 individuals to our Friday program. Students, volunteers, all working together <laughs> to love God by loving people. Oh, and uh, before you start thinking, well, you know, Brian, at least you have your experience to help you with that. We've been doing this for about 18 months. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you the secret of Hope Academy. The absolute secret, right? Um, behind everything that's been going on. You ready? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know how to teach the GED. I don't know how to teach people how to read. Um, I certainly don't speak Farsi, Pashto, Arabic, Urdu, Dari, Burmese, Kurdish, Turkish, or any of the other languages that are spoken by our students. Never mind that I have no idea how to then teach them English. <laughs> the only thing I do know, if I know anything at all, is that Jesus knows what each one of them needs. He knows how to make your strengths increase. And he knows how to work through your weaknesses. Romans 12, 9 through 16 sums up all of this. So, 9 and 10, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Verse 14, bless those that persecute you, bless and do not curse them. 15 and 16, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And here it is. Never be wise in your own sight. Good thing I have no idea what I'm doing. Jesus knows how to wreck your life. But only so that he can rebuild it by hand into something better than you could ever have done on your own. Lord God, I just pray for all of uh, the people gathered here today. I pray that you would impress on their hearts the need to yield to you. Let you wreck their life. We love you. We thank you. Amen. So the band's uh, going to come on now, um, I think. Yep. <laughs> and... Uh, I want to invite you guys, um, and there's going to be something in it, but in a moment you're going to have an opportunity to uh, pray with us. Our prayer team will be down front, and I'm hoping that Heather will join me up front. Um, maybe you've been feeling that you need a more authentic experience with Jesus. Um, maybe you've never met him. You know, I, I, I heard this Chinese proverb recently, and it said the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. You know what the next best day is? Today. So although my wife and I may do our best to talk you out of it, um, because you could find that you're never the same, uh, we would love to meet with you and uh, pray that most dangerous prayer with you.
Thanks, guys.